Good morning, and happy Mother's Day to you. We are so glad that you're here today. It's good to see everybody. And uh, again, I'm, I'm only half seeing you, but I'm going to keep using that joke every single week until I can completely see you. Um, if you're, not, if you, you're wondering again this week, going without the patch, still get this fluctuating in my vision. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. It's kind of like I was thinking about it this morning, and it's, it's similar to, you know, you go to the optometrist or the ophthalmologist, and they, th they put that machine on you, and they do that whole one or two, you know. It's like I'm stuck in this one or two machine, and I can't get it off my head. So you can imagine that. That's, and I know which one's better. It's on the left. <laughs> so, but we just keep praying, and uh, there's one thing I know I keep saying God can do. It's heal the blind, so and I, I'll take all the help I can get. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we go into our time in the Word? Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you the way you bring us together. Lord, I thank you for your, your plan for family. Lord, I thank you for the way you have given us your design through Scripture. Help us, Lord, to be receptive today to your word. Help us, Lord, to clear our minds and clear our hearts of any distractions and to listen to what you would have to say to us this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for this series that we've, we've spent several months in. I thank you, Lord, for, for that Sermon on the Mount, by which we've, we're learning so much about obedience and what it, what it looks like to truly follow after you. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you during our time together this morning. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Well, here's a question to start our time together in the Word this morning. You might think it's a funny question, but it ties in with our title, and I'm going to throw it out there. What is fruit? What is fruit? Have you thought about it? Do you, do you have a, a good definition for this one? And you might take your time a minute. I know it sounds like the preacher's lost his mind this morning, but just bear with me. What is fruit? You, Tell you what, let's, let's do something a little bit different. If you've got an answer to this question, you're welcome to uh, just put your hand up in the air. If you've, got a, if you've got an answer to this question, you can call it out this morning. Anybody? Anybody have a definition this morning for, for fruit? What's fruit? Got somebody down here. What, what is fruit? What would you say it is? Yeah, you. Type of food. That's, that's good. That's a good one. Anybody got anything else? Okay. Okay, kind of a seed. All right. Anything else? Anybody got anything else? Got another one up here. Part of a plant. These are all good. These are all good definitions. One last call. Anybody else got a, got a definition? Anna. Summer sweet and summer sour. That's excellent. Woo. Let's keep going. I might not have to preach. Well, got a lot of really good answers this morning. That's great. Thank you, guys. Got a de uh, dictionary definition here that almost kind of ties those together. It's funny the way that works out. What do you think of this? Any product of plant growth useful to humans or animals? Any product of plant growth useful to humans or animals? That kind of ties together some of these things, some of these ideas that you've called out this morning. 
and there's literally bunches and bunches of them out there, right? Uh, simple Google search this week for me revealed that there are, are alone estimated to be, what, about 7,500 types of apples? That's a lot of apples. Does that sound right? Or has the internet lied to me? We're not even talking about melons or tomatoes or anything like that. Here's a question for you. With all the different kinds of plant growth in the world, I won't ask you to throw out numbers on that one. How are we supposed to be able to tell them apart? How are, you, how are we supposed to be able to do that? How are we supposed to be able, for example, to tell uh, apple trees apart from the cherry trees? Uh, you know, I understand there's maybe some differences in flowering. Uh, maybe someone much more knowledgeable than I, Cody Hansen, would be able to spot these differences. Well, let's just say, and I know this is a wild suggestion, just bear with me. Let's just imagine, let's just, let's pretend that for one year, okay, there was anarchy in the forest. Just imagine this scenario. Let's say that for one year, all the apple trees got together and all the cherry trees got together and they said to one another, they got in a big huddle and they said, well, let's just, let's just fool everybody next year. Let's go all out. And let's imagine all the apple trees came dressed one year as cherry trees. I don't mean just in bark. Let's imagine flowering. Maybe they picked up some kind of cherry tree costume at Dollar General. I don't know. But what if all the apple trees showed up looking like cherry trees and all the cherry trees showed up looking like apple trees and even a master gardener or Cody Hansen wouldn't be able to spot the differences between the two. There'd only be one way. There'd only be one way to tell those apple trees apart from those cherry trees from underneath the outfits they had on, and that'd be in the fruit. That would be in the fruit they would bear. The fruit they bear can't be changed, not even in this uh, crazy fantasy scenario I'm, I'm suggesting where they go to Dollar General. Not even in this world can you change the fruit. You see, no matter the way someone or something appears to us, what they really are, the authenticity of a person or a thing shows up in one area of their lives, and that's called fruit. Fruit is the means by which we recognize the authentic from the imposter. That's what fruit is. Now, I know, I know this illustration I just gave you was, was completely ridiculous, and that's why I like it. But... In reality, my friends, there, there are people, there are people who try to fool everybody about what they are, just like those trees, by playing dress up, by playing dress up. They want you to think, in some cases, that they're really following Jesus, but they're not really following Jesus, and the proof is in the fruit that they bear. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Verses 15 to 23, it's on the uh, screen behind me as well. Let's read through the first five verses of our text together this morning. And Jesus actually gives the following warning to us about some folks. Jesus says this, follow with me. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. He goes on to say, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears 
bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Let's stop. Let's stop there. So an apple tree doesn't matter what it looks like. It can't bear cherries. If an apple tree ceases to bear apples and instead bears cherries, it's not an apple tree. It's a cherry tree. A cherry tree cannot bear apples no matter what it looks like. If we take this a step further the way Jesus takes it, the way Jesus puts it, a thorn bush cannot bear grapes and a thistle cannot bear figs in verse 16. You see, what Jesus is getting at in our text this morning is far thornier and it's infinitely more serious than an apple showing up in cherry tree clothing. There are thorn bushes and thistles among the church. Some people want you to think that they bear grapes and figs, respectively. But do you realize that not every person who bears the name of Jesus claims Christian is of Jesus? Do you recognize that not every so-called Christian teacher, preacher, church leader everywhere is actually of Jesus? Some people know how to talk a good talk. Some people know how to quote scripture backwards and front. Some people know how to use words, words like praise the Lord, brother, hallelujah, amen, to startling effect with crystal clear clarity in a super nifty oratory. Some people show up in the pulpit with a big smile, a lot of energy. Some may even have community or national or worldwide notoriety and support. They may even have a a big radio, TV show, or podcast, best-selling book in the Christian section of Amazon. And some may even make an awful lot of noise about saving the lost, loving one's neighbor, feeding the poor, and yet they bear nothing useful for the kingdom of God. Thorn bushes, thistles. But you know the trouble with a false prophet where we go today which some may even claim to be a prophet, God, one who speaks for God. The trouble with a false prophet, according to Jesus, his true identity isn't always the most obvious. Sometimes God's people, the flock, can't even tell the difference between a so-called fellow believer and a wolf in sheep's clothing, which is why Jesus says the fruit we bear, the way we walk, provides the Proof for the way we talk. You know, false prophets were nothing new by the time of the Sermon on the Mount by this occasion. In the Old Testament, those who spoke falsely in the name of the Lord were punished by stoning. Punished by stoning. Stoned to death. Yet, 2,000 years after Christ, today, although we can uh, plainly see the Bible specifically warning in several places that there will be wolves and dress up seeking to devour the flock, that's what they do. God's people often fail to take false prophets seriously. We do. We fail to take them seriously. At best, we ignore. At worst, we support. Now, I'm not saying that when it comes to to dealing with false prophets today in the age of grace, I'm not saying that the church should, you know, think like Bob Dylan. Everybody must get stoned. I should have cut that one. (laughs) Edit that out, Luke. But 
We do need to be aware of the fact that there are wolves behind pulpits today. Peter chapter 2. You know, sometimes the, the, the wolves Jesus speaks of in our text, they'll make, it, they'll make it obvious they're on a feeding frenzy, right? Last week in, in men's group, which we're, we're on break now till September, been a, been a wonderful group if you haven't gotten involved uh, with that group of guys. Well, last week in men's group, we had a, a lesson on uh, generosity, and, and, and one of the guys commented on that uh, hypocritical preacher that, that we've, all, we've all encountered. Uh, you encounter the guy from time to time talks about giving, giving, giving to their poor congregation from within the comforts of their Mercedes-Benz. Sometimes we uh, recognize a wolf in disguise, and then sometimes like, like, like Little Red Riding Hood. Remember that story? There's a song also. I found it. Little Red Riding Never mind. Wanted to do that howl, but I changed my mind. Sometimes, like Little Red Riding Hood, we've been known to look right at Grandma and say, my, oh, my, what big teeth you have. One Church of Christ preacher tells the following story about a a couple who didn't recognize a false prophet or a big bad wolf until it was too late. He writes, Years ago, the glory barn, led by one Hobart Freeman of northern Indiana, was an impressive venture. Mr. Freeman had established a beautiful auditorium inside a a refurbished barn. It was incredible. It was packed, even on Sunday nights. People left their communities, traveled 30, 100 miles to attend and hear this this dynamic speaker. Freeman's worship service was exciting. I even went a couple of times, he writes, but I came away troubled. Preacher continues, a couple from, from my congregation, I'll call them Jack and Mary. Jack and Mary began to regularly attend the barn on Sunday nights. One night, at at our own Bible study, I shared a song I had written that quoted a prophecy about Christ from the book of Isaiah. Afterwards, the preacher continues, Mary took me aside and told me that the way I'd use that scripture was not the proper interpretation. She said that Dr. Freeman at the Glory Barn interpreted it entirely different. I smiled and, and said, that that's okay. I can be wrong. And... Dr. Freeman can be wrong. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mary said, almost shocked. Dr. Freeman can't be wrong. He's a prophet. Suddenly, I knew what was wrong at the glory barn. But, my friends, the tragic part of this story wasn't just one uh, evangelist's lack of humility detailed by this preacher or possibly fruit revealing uh, one guy's goal as the greatest showman over one who correctly handled the word of God. The tragic part of this story was how this couple, Jack and Mary, had had the proverbial wool pulled over their eyes, and it cost them. It cost them, physically and spiritually. As this preacher concludes, Freeman taught that if you had enough faith, you didn't need to go to a doctor. You didn't need to go to a doctor for physical care. If you went to a doctor at all, it was a sign you didn't have enough faith. Jack, Mary's husband, who was diabetic, believed Freeman and believed his teachings, and after several incidents where he blacked out because he hadn't taken his medicine, Jack died of a lack of insulin. Wolves devour their prey. If we're not paying close enough attention to our leaders, if we're not watching the way a person walks, we're liable to be deceived by the way a person talks. 
And some people know how to talk. Some people really know. And so the fruit that they bear is important. And this is important for all Christians. It's especially important for church leaders. See, according to Jesus, fruit is the means by which we recognize the wolf from the sheep, the authentic from the imposter within the church. But, but, but maybe we think, you know, what does it make any difference, right? I mean, as long as someone has a platform for Jesus, does it make any difference? Some of these guys on TV, they have fundraisers, they have $64 million jets, and they talk more about self-help than they do denying the self. But what does it matter, right? What does it matter what a person does with the word of God as long as they stand for the word of God? But according to Jesus, according to the word of God, what each and every one of us, all of us who claim Christ, what we do in our own lives with the word of God matters eternally. See, it's not enough to just talk about Jesus. We have to walk after Jesus. Be the rest of our text this morning. Jesus reminds us of this. It's a very salient point. Verses 21 to 23. It's humbling. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does. Do, you, do we see this? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22 goes on to say, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? He goes on, verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. So none of us are exempt from the walk. People on TV, people in the mega churches, people in our small country churches. You know, we talk a lot about planting seeds for Christ. The Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, planting seeds for Christ in the kingdom of heaven. But it's not enough to be all about planting seeds for the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to be turning heads to the work being done within the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom workers must be about kingdom fruit as well. Our fruit is how we say to one another, I'm a Christian, and I'm for real. Makes a difference. Maybe we wonder, why would God allow this in his name? Wow, why, why would he allow it? Why would he allow false prophets, false teachers, those that aren't for real? Why would he allow people to operate in his name like this in the first place? I mean, isn't it just making a whole lot of division within the church these days? But what's incredible is when we open up the pages of this book and we look at it from cover to cover, we see that false prophets, false teachers, even those capable of working miracles before our very eyes can be found all throughout Scripture as well. One commentator points uh, to those magicians uh, of Egypt during the time of Moses. If you want to turn with me quickly to Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13 in the Old Testament, we'll look at the first four verses together. Moses himself writes the following. The oldest books we have. Moses himself writes, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen 
to the words of that prophet or dreamer. And he goes on here in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, now get this, the Lord your God is testing you. Is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. Later in the New Testament, in Acts 19, in Acts 19, verses 13 to 17, uh, it's kind of a, uh, an interesting account. We find the sons of a, of a priest working as exorcists, working uh, w- w- with demons in the name of Jesus. The problem is they don't actually follow Jesus, if you remember right. And this one little detail, it's a big deal, leaves them overpowered. Leaves them overpowered by the demons. And the point here is that imposters have always been present among God's people and impressing other people. God has always used false prophets. From ancient Israel to modern America, he uses them to find out exactly where we stand, where his people stand. But here's the thing, it doesn't come from God. Not everything God allows comes from God. Warren Wiersbe writes, Satan is the counterfeiter. Satan has a false gospel, Galatians 1, preached by false ministers, 2 Corinthians 11, producing false Christians. And Satan plants the counterfeiters where? Where God plants true believers, Matthew 13. This morning it's important, my friends, that we don't allow ourselves to be led to slaughter by false teachings. This is so important. This is so important. It's important that we keep this in mind today. As we get near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is leaving us with this because he knew. We've, we take the clock forward we, where we are now. Some of today's most influential cults grew not just out of an ignorance of Scripture, but because their initial followers ignored the fruit of their leaders. Today, one of these cult organizations boasts 15 million members, 75,000 missionaries. I'm not going to name names or cities, but theirs is a whole lot of counterfeit Christianity modeled after the words of one incredibly false prophet. It's a problem that's always plagued the church. By the end of the first century, the Apostle John wrote, uh, 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 20 centuries later, this is some time that's, that's passed. Think about all the false prophets have come and gone, and the choice is still ours. This is how Satan works, division continuing to divide. Brothers and sisters, there are far too many, far too many churches will we continue to allow Satan to divide us in falsehood or will we allow him to unite us by the spiritual fruit of Jesus Christ? It's often been said that the, the, the best way to, to tell an original from, from a counterfeit is to study the original, right? Probably heard a preacher say this before. Um, I came across a, an article this week. I found this kind of interesting and, and relevant. It was entitled, The Top Ten Ways to Spot a Fake or Counterfeit Rolex Watch. I thought this was interesting. I, I'm no big Rolex watch aficionado. You hadn't guessed? I remember visiting uh, Central Park, uh, New York, when I was a teenager, being fascinated. Uh, I was on a school trip, by the way. I didn't just take random trips to Central Park as a kid. Um, 
But I remember being fascinated by the idea of these $10 watches with this writing on them that said R-O-L-E-C-K-S, Rolex. <laughs> Even though I, I've been told that the bootleg vendors aren't such a thing anymore, you know, the idea of spending 10 bucks on a knockoff of an item that could cost 10 grand, that just appeals to me for some reason, you know? Things you didn't know about your minister, check his fruit. <clears throat> We're going to spend six digits on a watch. If we're going to spend, you know, six digits on, on a Rolex, we better be able to travel throughout time and space with that, right? You know? <laughs> Last minute Mother's Day ideas, I'm trying to help. Is your mother worth a fake Rolex, right? Turns out there's several ways one can tell a fake from a counterfeit Rolex besides the spelling. Now, I'm not going to go through all the specifics, but including the list, there's the presence of a unique stamping, a serial and model number. There's the, the famous crown logo, uh, precision dial. There's magnifying lens above the date window. They tend to be, uh, have a waterproof build. And the real deal is notable for these attributes. Obviously, the price of a, of a Rolex is a big giveaway, too. I, I come to find out later as an adult that a, a properly spelled Rolex is not available from street vendors for 10 bucks. I was a little disappointed. But these are just a few of the ways you can tell an authentic from a counterfeit Rolex. How about when it comes to Christians? How about when it comes to Christians? How do you tell the real thing from a counterfeit? Right here. Right here. Not from what some guy on TV tells you. Right here. Someone has written in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we read all about genuine believers, for example. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, we read all about counterfeit. Counterfeit believers. If you take these two chapters and you put them side by side, you see the difference between authentic and counterfeit Christians. And these differences include a different source. Where does, where does their message come from? Does it come from the Bible? Does it come uh, from the, the person's own creativity? The pages of Holy Scripture are something they just dug up somewhere. Differences include a different message. What's, what's the substance of the message the, the person is presenting? Are they, are they presenting Jesus Christ or something else? Are they talking about self-denial or self-promotion? And this is a big one. Self-denial or self-promotion. A, a different character. We'll see a difference in character between the authentic and a counterfeit Christian. What kind of uh, people does the person's message produce? Is this a message that's going to produce people pursuing, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Or arrogance, self-righteousness, and greed? And finally, these differences between genuine and counterfeit believers are going to include a different destination. Different destination. Where does the message that is spoken ultimately lead you? Where does it drive you? Because there's plenty of counterfeit gospels, counterfeit preachers, counterfeit Christians, but there's no such thing as a counterfeit heaven. There's, there's no uh, cost-cutter eternity. Look with me again in Matthew seven eighteen. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, Jesus says. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
want you to think seriously about the following this week. Take this following uh, question home with you. Pray on it. Take it to the Father. This is a big question. Would you say that we, the church, do we look like the one we follow individually? Do we look like Jesus? When we're all together, do we look like Jesus? Do the people whose books we read and study and lives we follow and are influenced by and take in and say, hey, this is really neat stuff, do they look like the one we follow? And if the answer is no, my friends, why not? Why not? As we've said earlier, the Christian's call to judge fruit is not a call to judge souls. Identifying fruit doesn't mean we, we legalistically get hung up on every little failure we see around us. But our future does depend on whether or not we are following the real thing or a knockoff. A knockoff. In Jesus, we have something eternally priceless, worth far more than a Rolex. But have we put ourselves holy? On God's time. I mentioned earlier one attribute of fruit. We were talking earlier, you know, fruit, plant, growth deemed useful. I think that translates well this morning. The good fruit Christians bear is useful. It's useful. It marks us as who we truly are, as it marks us for who we truly follow. And, and maybe it's, it's difficult for us to understand how our, our good fruit in this lifetime can be used by Jesus for an eternity. We can't understand that. But perhaps we can better understand how our bearing good fruit can affect time span of a lifetime or two. I'd like to close this morning with a few words by one author writing about those European settlers who came to America. Timeline, early 1600s. That was a few years before I was born. I would assume many of you as well. Although these folks may have come to a wilderness, when they arrived at, at Massachusetts Bay, these people fully intended to make this land their new home for good. Author writes, Among the settlers was, was an English Puritan named John Endicott. He became governor over this colony in, in 1629. In 1630, John Endicott, who, who, who became governor, the next year, 1630, excuse me, he planted a pear tree. This was a pear tree sapling that had been transported across the Atlantic. Came a long way. Endicott is said to have made the following statement when he planted the pear tree. He said, I hope the tree will love the soil. And no doubt when we have gone, the tree will still be alive. And the story continues. Mr. John Endicott's wish came true. Today, this very tree planted in 1630 in Danvers, Massachusetts, is still alive and it's still bearing fruit. For hundreds of years, a single pear tree has survived cold winters, Hurricanes, attacks by vandals even. And it's been called the Endicott tree for much like its namesake. It's found fertile soil in a new land. This tree has flourished well beyond anything these early settlers could ever have, could ever have imagined. And the article concludes, still standing, it's an incredible tribute to the ability of a good tree 
to bear good fruit. Brothers and sisters, like the one you and I are named after, we have the option, the option to flourish beyond anything we can imagine. Beyond anything we can imagine that comes to mind. Who knows how Jesus is going to use us? For how long? For whom? For every bad tree, our Lord Jesus went to the cross to bring us up from the ground. We've got to listen to his words. His words from the mount. We've got to bear that fruit where he plants us today and forever. Would you bear good fruit? Let's pray. Lord, again, I, I, I thank you today for your word. Your word and, and your spirit, Lord, the, the things that, that teach us and guide us. Lord, I pray that as, as we go into this world, that, that we not be led astray, but that we be led fully by you. Lord, I pray that uh, your word, your teachings, the truth, that we would be people that, that stand for these things. Help us, God, to remember that you've saved us, though our, our salvation, it doesn't hinge on anything we do. Help us to also remember that, that we do have a response to what you've, you've done for us. Lord, if we're following after you, if we're chasing after you, help us to remember you've called us to look like you, to do as you have done before us. God, we live in a world that there's so many distractions. There's so many things that threaten our activity. Lord, I pray that no matter where you've called us to serve, that we truly follow your word there. Help us, Lord, to remember that those around us are watching. Help us to be the real thing. It is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. makes the difference between the real and the counterfeit? Where is your heart at? Where is it at this morning? Have you given Jesus your heart? Or are you just playing around? Are you just doing some things you've seen done in churches, maybe by some people that claim Jesus? It must start with the heart. So this morning, we have an invitation for you to come forward. Acts 2.38 where does it all begin? Repent and be baptized. If you haven't yet made that decision to go into those waters of baptism and come up new, new creation, we invite you to come forward. Or if you have another public decision you'd like to make this morning, as we stand and sing, I give you my heart.